You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And here's your host, Aram Layton. This is a Locked On MLB Prospects, your go-to podcast on the future stars of Major League Baseball. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a prospect writer and analyst, as well as the founder of JustBaseball.com. And in today's episode, we're going to talk about the top third base prospects in baseball. I wanted to get into third base just because I think it's a position where I've seen the most discrepancy across different prospect outlets, and I wanted to kind of give my opinion on it. I was going to do catchers. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get to every position, especially during lockout time, where I'm going to need to uh, find some other things to discuss. But the cool thing with prospects is I'm always digging. I'm always writing up systems, and I'm always adjusting, tweaking, and looking at more video and information, and I end up, you know, having some new takeaways, some new thoughts, and tweaking wherever my prospect rankings will be, even when when stuff isn't happening, because I'm able to finally get back and watch so much more of this past season, and make sure I'm as educated as possible on a lot of these prospects. So, I'm excited to do that here with the third base position, because my number one third base prospect, I think is somebody that is still, even though he is getting a ton of hype, I look at the baseball card community, he's definitely getting the hype he deserves there in terms of his price uh, of his Bowman Chrome, as uh, some collectors may be trying to hoard this guy now. But Jordan Walker, he's my number one third base prospect, and you might think Brett Beatty. Beatty's not far away. But the more I have watched of Jordan Walker, the more there is to like. And I'm going to be doing the Cardinal system soon. That's one of the systems I'm writing up right now anyways. So you'll probably hear me give this whole Jordan Walker spiel again. But to, to just go over how good this guy is. I mean, he's a teenager, and what he did in his first professional season I thought was absolutely spectacular. We knew how much raw power Jordan Walker had. I mean, 6'5", 220-plus pounds. We knew that he is a specimen and a really good athlete, but there was a big question as to how well he'd be able to hit and if the hit tool would really translate at the professional level, as there is with all of those toolsy, big, uh, power profile type of high schoolers. Walker skipped rookie ball and went straight into low A, where he just dominated in 27 games during the 2021 season. He hit 374, 475, 687 in those 27 games, six home runs. That's good for a 205 WRC+. So clearly, he was ready to go there. Only a 17% K rate, 15% walk rate. So he gets the call up to high A, and this is a huge jump for a 19-year-old who was just drafted and has that profile that he has has. Walker definitely saw his numbers come down to earth a little bit, but was still very, very productive and comfortable. In 55 games, he slashed 292, 344, 487. I think the big thing that we saw was the walk rate dropped. And that's why I don't put a ton of stock into low A walk rates because a lot of it just has to do with most of these kids not having great command. And Walker walked just 6% of the time. Ironic, Walker walked. But he only had 6% of his at-bats results or plate appearances results in free passes. Still not egregiously bad. And also kept the strikeout rate under 30%. It went up to 27%, which is a good tick above 17 But still so, so solid for a first-year 19 
19-year-old with big power going straight to high A. I don't care that his strikeout rate went up 10%, and I don't care that his walk rate halved because he was just so advanced compared to low A that he set the bar so high for himself. And that's something I always say here is that we don't want to compare a pros- or, or pit a prospect against himself because if he went straight to high A, like let's say low A never happened, skips over low A and goes straight to high A and puts up the numbers that he put up, the 292, 344, 487 slash line with a 27% K rate and a 124 WRC plus, we'd be like, wow, how amazing is this? He was spectacular. So I want to make that clear here is just because it's not as good as low A. It's just because he was so ridiculously good. I mean, he was twice as good as average. If, If you look at WRC plus, right, 100 is average. He was at 205. So he was more than twice as good as what average would be considered in that league. I'm a big fan of Walker. I really like the swing. He's a big dude, as I mentioned before, right? He's six foot five, 220 pounds. And I'll get to the defense in a second because when he was first selected, you know, I hadn't seen much of him in high school. And I was wondering, like, is this guy really going to play third? He looks like a guy that'll probably move to first. No, he is sticking at third, and I'll get to that. But on the offensive side of things, he starts pretty upright, which is, you know, a little bit unique for a guy that that's that is as tall as he is, but what he does a really good job of, and it's a little reminiscent of Christian Yelich, but less dramatic, is he really sinks into his back leg. He starts upright, and you can see him just sink into his back hip. The weight's really in that glute, and just so rhythmic as he drops back into the backside. It does remind me a little bit of Christian Yelich, and it's something that he repeats well. He's consistent with it, and he doesn't need too much movement. He does that, I think, more so to just stay back and a allow his ridiculous raw power to eat because it's 70 grade raw power. He's already hitting exit velos as high as 111 miles an hour, which, you know, when you're hitting 14 home runs in less than 100 games in your first professional season, as despite being way younger than the competition, kept the strikeout rates in check, even in high A, and then put up those crazy exit velos. He has a lot going for him. I don't understand why anybody has him outside of their top 30 prospects in all of baseball. I don't know how anybody doesn't have him as their number one prospect for the Cardinals. I've seen Nolan Gorman ahead of him. I've seen Matthew Libertor ahead of him. Two very good prospects who I'll talk about in the Cardinals rundown, but that is crazy. We're talking about a kid who is still, still 19 years old. He doesn't turn 20 for another six months. So presumably he could still be 19 by the start of the season. And that means he did a lot of what he did this past year as an 18 year old. That's something I really didn't even uh, realize as I was talking about him. Like this is a young, young kid who has all the potential in the world and already put up numbers. He's got as much offensive upside as anybody, and he's already showing that he has a higher floor than a lot of people thought. Then you look at the defense. Yes, did he make some errors? Yeah, he absolutely did. And that was something that I'm glad I went back and watched because I see the fielding percentage and I see the errors that he made. I think the exact number was 22 errors in just 76 games. It's not great at all. It's actually pretty terrible. And I think when people look at that, they're probably saying, well, I think he's going to move to first base. I actually don't think so. I really don't think so because I watched so much video of him just picking it at third and watching some of the errors that he made, watching a lot of the plays that he made. And what I realized is one, this guy moves really, really well. 
not just for a guy of his size, but just period, he moves really well. Stolen bases are hard to put a stock into, as I've always said, but he did steal 14 bases in high and low A, which even if they are easier to steal because of the rules that they had for the first half of the season, if you are a behemoth of a man and don't move well, you're not going to swipe that many bags. I think it's just at least a little bit of a clue into how well he moves for his size. What I really like about him is, is the athleticism. You see the fluidity. He makes really, really tough plays look easy. The problem for him sometimes is I think he had so much confidence in his ability to make tough plays that he was trying to be a hero sometimes. And a lot of his errors were on balls that he could have just eaten. Right. Like backhands that were almost impossible to make. And he's trying to make this off balance throw because he has a plus plus arm as a guy that could reach mid 90s on the mound. And he throws it away. It was stuff like that that I think accounted for a lot of his errors that I saw. And what I really like, though, is that he can make all of the throws on the run, going to his left, going to his right. He is comfortable with all the different arm angles required to make difficult plays on the run. He's comfortable coming in, charging. He's got good instincts for me. It was really just overall actions at times, just not quite clean and smooth enough. And sometimes just had the ball eat him up. And then you combine that with just trying to be a hero at times and not knowing yet as an 18 year old and 19 year old by the end of the season, when it's just better to hold on to the baseball, right? It's not high school anymore. A lot of these guys can move if you bobble it or if it's a do or die play, sometimes it's better to just eat it. And that's one of the things that I think he's learning, but I have no doubt in my mind that he is capable of sticking at third base and that's That's why I'm really glad that I took the time to watch his defense because something just told me that he is better than the the fan graphs or baseball reference page would tell you defensively. And that is 100 percent the case. I'm willing to bet on him sticking at third base and actually being an above average defender there when it's all said and done. Walker's got 35, 40 home run upside with, with what he's got going on there. His hit tool is way ahead of, I think, where anybody thought it would be above average hit tool potential. Pretty good approach, got a little aggressive in high A, but still was able to make it work. I'm expecting him to start the year in high A next year and make his way up to double A pretty quickly. He's going to get to the big leagues, I think, a lot quicker than anybody thought. I've seen ETAs of 2025 on him. I don't think that's the case. I think we could see him in the big leagues by 2023 because of how polished he is. Remember, really smart kid, too. He was committed to Duke. Both his parents are Ivy Leaguers. You can see that kind of make its way into his game as well. Has great makeup for that reason as well. There's just so much to like for this kid, and he's one of my favorite prospects in all of baseball. Next up is another prospect that I really do like, and I, and I mentioned him kind of leading in because he was probably my number one prospect at some point at third base before Jordan Walker really turned it on, and that is Brett Beatty. Brett Beatty's a guy that I've been high on for a while, and he really just had things click for him in the New York Mets organization this year. Beatty mashed his way through high A pitching in 2021, and remember, he's a guy that was caught in really bad timing to have the 2020 season canceled. A lot of guys are like that, but for him too, because drafted in 2019, was thrown into rookie ball, held his own in rookie ball and short season. He had just a handful of games to play there, was ready for 2020. Then that season was canceled. So had not really played above rookie ball before the start of this season and going into the year, gets the assignment straight to high A and was more than ready for that assignment. I mean, he was spectacular in 51 games, 309, 397, 514 slash line. That's a 145 WRC plus seven homers. And what I really like too is, is he walks a good amount. He walked a lot. 
in high A and then walked even more in double A at a near 13% clip. Kept the strikeout rate extremely consistent between high A and double A too, which was another thing that looked, uh, which is really good to see. He did not quite maintain the power numbers in double A, but with how difficult the jump was and how many prospects we saw do well in high A and tail off big time in double A, I was just really encouraged to see that strikeout rate remain consistent. The walk rate actually jump a percent and he still put up respectable numbers there in double A. It was really just the power that slipped a little bit in the extra base hit category, but still hit 272, 364 on base, which is just great in double A. But the 424 slugging a, a bit lower, about 90 points lower than what he had going on in high A. A little bit of that may have been ballpark as well. And there's a lot of other factors that go into that. And it was only 40 games in double A, but really like what we saw from him there. And the thing with Beatty is, yes, he's going to strike out 20 to 25% of the time, but I think that's going to remain consistent all the way up to the big leagues. I don't think we're going to see one of those situations where it's like, oh yeah, he strikes out 25% of the time in high A. Well, he's going to strike out 35% in double A. We already saw that that's not the case. But even when you see that with guys in double A, you're like, oh no, it's going to get over 30% in the majors, maybe early on. But what I like about Beatty is that he doesn't move. His swing is so simple. His setup is so simple. He doesn't require a ton to get into that power. He has natural easy lift from the left side and really just kind of presets himself. He's already kind of back on his backside. He really just picks up the front foot, puts it down and throws his hands at the ball. He has that raw power at 6'3", 210 and easy bat speed that he doesn't need to do much else. And that's what I like about his swing is that it really allows for him to be pretty consistent It's built for repetition, and I really feel like he's just going to get better and better when it comes to just finding the consistency with just the approach. It's not really anything mechanical with the swing, especially middle in. You see him just unload on baseballs. I mean, I think he hit one 113 miles an hour for a home run in the Arizona Fall League. That is elite. I mean, that, that's elite exit velo right there, or right on the fringes of elite uh, for the minor leagues especially, but for the big leagues, it'd be right on the fringes of elite. He's got all of the goods. He's going to be good enough to play defense at third. I think that's why Vientos is more so likely to start getting those reps in left, but Beatty is athletic enough to play a corner if needed. The other thing I really like about Beatty is his ability to spray the ball all over the field. It helps him against lefties because he keeps that front hip closed, and that's why he has pretty consistent splits. I think they'll get better as, again, he irons out his approach, but he is comfortable letting the ball travel and driving it to all fields. You look at the spray chart, he goes yard, foul pole to foul pole. He's comfortable driving the ball all over. You can't shift him that effectively, and again, he's still just 22 years old, so no doubt my number two third base prospect in baseball and a really exciting one for the Mets who probably has an ETA at some point of next year if the Mets need him but of course they've made quite the additions to their ball club and I'm sure that they're going to continue to add guys so I don't really know where the prospects fit in for them as I talked about in the last episode and we could end up seeing them make a big trade though I would deem Brett Beatty probably one of the few untouchables in that system along with Alvarez who is definitely untouchable in that system I'm going to get to a few other third basemen in this episode on the other side before I get there a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Built Bar there are so many delicious flavors to choose from for Built Bar and some special flavors for the holidays. 
If you're like me, your sweet tooth really kicks in gear this time of year, and having Built Bars is a great way to have a low-calorie, low-sugar, low-carb, great-tasting snack that gives you that fix so you don't have to go have that slice of pie. Instead, you can have a pie-flavored Built Bar that is also high in protein. If you go to Built.com and use the promo code BUILT20, that's BUILT20, you will get 20% off your next order. That's BUILT20 for 20% off your next order at Built.com. Also brought to you by DirecTV Stream. Let me know if this sounds familiar. You've got a million different devices for a million different apps or streaming or just ways to watch all of the different shows that you want to watch because there's a million good shows nowadays. Well, what if I told you there's an easier way to get that all put together and it's DirecTV Stream where everything can just be in one place. It's that simple. DirecTV Stream wants to get your TV together. No more juggling remotes, no more trying to remember all of your different logins. Just have it all in one place. That's what DirecTV Stream is here to do for you. Go check it out at directtv.com. So let's get into now the number three third base prospect in baseball. And this is where things get a little bit tighter. It gets a little bit more, uh, I would say, controversial, but not really because these are all great options. But this is a player that really put it together. Someone I was very skeptical of heading into 2021. I had my concerns. I said he needs to make a swing change, and he did. And by swing change, I just mean make major adjustments with the way you're attacking the baseball and the way you set up. And that's exactly what Josh Young of the Texas Rangers has done. And the equation for Josh Young's success is fairly simple. Aside from the fact that he made those adjustments, what those adjustments allowed him to do is one, hit the ball in the air more because he had a 50% ground ball rate in 2019, his last professional season, his only professional season. You cannot be a corner infielder hitting 50% of the balls that you hit into the ground. He also only had a 3% home run to fly ball rate in low A in that first professional season. That's terrible. I mean, that's just an issue because he's not hitting the ball in the air that often. And then when he is, they're never leaving the yard. He's not somebody that's going to impact the baseball at 113 miles an hour. He's somebody that's more in the slightly above average exit velo department. But the thing is, is he just barrels frequently, especially now. And he gets easy lift now. And we saw that. And that's why I'm very sold on the power. He doesn't have to hit 113 mile an hour exit velos to have consistent power because he consistently gets over triple digits and has found that sweet spot between, you know, 103 and 107 with great carry and easy lift. And you go from 50% ground ball rate now to just a 34% ground ball rate between double A and triple A. And you're going to see a lot more success. He's hitting the ball in the air more and he's hitting a higher percentage of the balls in the air out of the yard. Pretty simple equation there, right? 22% home run to fly ball rate, meaning 22% of the balls he hits in the air, leave the yard. That was consistent through double A and triple A. So it wasn't as much of where he was playing. It was the adjustment that we saw. That is all great stuff. And part of the reason why I'm really sold on his season statistics, which go as sounds, he hit 19 home runs between double A and triple A. He slashed 326, 398, 
592. That's a 990 OPS between double A and triple A. Remember, this was a guy that struggled in high A and then just pulverized double A and triple A pitching. 152 WRC plus and a strikeout rate of just 22% walk rate at 9%. I'd like to see him walk a little bit more given the power output that he has. But again, 9% is more than good enough, especially when you're only striking out about 22% of the time and also saw the walk rate bump up in AAA as the season went on. Just a great year from Josh Young. He's a good enough defender at third base. I actually think he's an above average defender at third base. So you're getting some value there. You're getting a high-end hit tool. That's the thing that I always liked about him. Even when the power output was a bit meager, he was still frequently hitting the ball. I, I point out the low A stint in 2019 where it was his really his debut in professional baseball after a phenomenal career at Texas Tech and he was somebody that just destroyed destroyed college pitching with metal bats and maybe there was a little bit of concern of maybe he can't hit with wood I mean he only had one home run and 179 plate appearances in low A where that's where you're expecting the top end college hitters to quickly jump through but he still had a good year there like he still hit 287 he still had a 363 on base but a 389 slugging from a third baseman isn't going to fly. So that was the concern. It's like, how much power is this guy going to hit for? He knew that too. He knew that too. He's like, I can't be a contact guy, even though he had a 120 WRC plus, which means he was 20% above average. He can't be that guy as a third baseman. He'd have to hit 340. So what he did, which he honestly ended up hitting pretty close to 340 in double A AA and triple A this year, but knowing that that's probably not going to be the case in the big leagues, he simply just found a way to get the ball in the air more and get the ball to carry more. And the adjustments he made with his swing exactly accommodated that. And that's why I'm very sold on the improvements that we've seen from his power output. You factor that in with above average defense and a high floor hit tool and a good approach. And there's a lot to like here from Josh Young. I think he's big league ready now. I'm interested to see what the Rangers plan is. And what's really fun is that the Rangers have now gone out and got two superstars in their middle infield with Corey Seager and, of course, Marcus Simeon. Now you have a young prospect potentially at third base. I don't know what they're going to do with Kiner Falefa. Maybe if Young isn't ready, they'll start Kiner Falefa out there. That guy can play all over. Uh, It should be interesting. Maybe he plays more of a super utility role. But if Josh Young is able to hit behind those guys, that's just a really awesome opportunity for him. What I like about him too is he is similar to Beatty where it's just simple. It's simple. He's a guy that knows that he has the power, even though he doesn't put up quite the exit velos of Beatty. He knows that he's able to get enough carry on the baseball and doesn't need to put too much into his swing. He doesn't need too much effort. Anything extraneous, if you don't need it to hit it out of the yard, if you're able to repeat movements more, you're going to have more success. And he drives the ball to all, all parts of the field really well. He starts with the bat on his shoulder and doesn't really move it much. It's a pick it up, put it down with his foot and just lets the ball travel and has easy backspin that he's able to put on the baseball. Josh Young is high floor and still a high ceiling of 25 plus homers, maybe even 30 at the big league level with a 280 plus average. I think that's what you're really looking for with a solid glove as well. So much to like here. And guess what? His brother could even end up being better than him. And you'll hear me talking about his brother, Jace, as we get closer to draft coverage as that time comes around. One more third base prospect I wanted to get to before the end of the episode is somebody that you've heard me talk about ad nauseum. It's Mark Vientos, another guy with just stupid power, absolute stupid power, probably as much power as anybody on this list. It's just him and Jordan Walker. I'd put on just their own 
echelon of just ridiculous potential in that department. Except one last thing real quick before I get to Vientos that I wanted to wrap up with Josh Young is that a big part of why I think he's going to have success is that he doesn't really have a weakness. He hits all types of pitch as well. He hits fastballs extremely well, as most good hitters do, but he hits curveballs well. He doesn't get fooled by changeups very badly. He's got at least a 700 OPS against every single offering, so there's not really a weakness to attack him with. That's a headache for pitchers and something that's going to work to his advantage as well. Going back to Mark Vientos now, somebody who pulverizes fastballs as well as anybody I've seen in minor league baseball, and he's gotten better at identifying the spin. There's not as much pressure on Vientos. You know, you still have to be competent against breaking balls, which he was this year, but there's not as much pressure on him to be able to hit breaking balls and change-ups at at least a 700 clip the way that we see somebody like Josh Young do because of how ridiculous he is against fastballs. But Viento still produced a 765 OPS against breaking balls, which is more than respectable, especially when you have a 1419 OPS against four-seamers. That's ridiculous. I mean, I mean, this isn't a small sample size. This is 41 hits in 136 plate appearances, 18 home runs, 13 doubles. Legitimately Every single time, almost, that he hits a fastball or has a fastball put in play for a base hit, it was an extra base hit, right? He had 31 of his 41 hits off of fastballs result in extra base hits. Nearly half of his total hits were home runs off of heaters. I've never really seen a 956 slugging against any offering with at least 100 plate appearances. Ridiculous to see that from Vientos. The other thing that's amazing too is that that number does not really drop off that much against Velo 95 miles per hour and higher. And that's important to me because when I'm talking about Vientos, I see some people kind of push back and say, oh, but there's some swing and miss. There's some swing and miss. Sure, there is some swing and miss here and there, but I think he sorted that out uh, to a pretty decent degree, and it stayed pretty stagnant in the high 20s. He offset it with the best walk rate of his minor league career. Yes, it could get better, but he offset it with a better walk rate, and the strikeout rate was still below 30%. I think that as long as he's below 30 2% roughly, he's going to be fine because the power is so ridiculous. If he keeps it under 30% and walks more than 10% of the time, you're more than fine as Mark Vientos. The thing that stood out the most to me with, with Vientos is that he would hit some balls as I'm watching a lot of the old games from last year. He hit some that I'm looking off the bat. I'm like, no way this gets out. Like this is a fly out to straightaway right field. Remember, he's a right-handed hitter. And I'm just watching the outfielder run, 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 like haphazardly not believing how much it's carrying and it carried out of the yard. And this wasn't like a one-time thing where it was maybe caught a jet stream or something. This just continued to happen. I saw a handful of home runs that he fully missed, fully missed under the baseball and it got out. And that's why I am really just sold on this plus plus raw power. But the balls that he does get, my goodness, when he gets it, he gets it. I mean, it's crazy how much power he's able to put up. He clears the wall by 100 feet. I mean, that's the kind of power that he has. He catches up to the velo now, so I'm not really worried about length to his swing before there was some length. He can at times want to go get the baseball a little bit, especially with change-ups. But still, with the improvements that he's made and with the strength that he has... 
there will be times where he goes to get it, but stays back just enough and is still able to hit the ball with authority. So his body doesn't even have to be perfect. He just has to have decent body control to be able to produce at the way he was producing this past year. And that's exactly what we saw. It's hard to believe that this kid was drafted as a shortstop out of American Heritage High School down in my local area, South Florida. He's 6'4", about 190 pounds. He just does not move that well. He's not fast at all. His footwork is is not bad. It's it's decent enough. Definitely good enough to stay at third, which is now his home position. But I could see him ending up in left field because he has a plus-plus arm. I mean, it, it is a mega arm that he has. And despite not being the fleetest of foot, that arm could help him a lot in a corner outfield spot. It's more so what the Mets want to do. If he's traded, I assume he sticks at third. If he sticks with the Mets, I could see him potentially ending up in a corner outfield spot, depending on how they sort it out with Beatty. I think Beatty offers a bit more defensively, but Vientos does have the bigger arm. Regardless, both of these guys are huge, huge upside offensive threats. And I think that Vientos has as much upside as anybody in the entire minor leagues. I see 40 home run potential in this kid, no doubt about it. Yeah, there's going to be some swing and miss, but there, there's some prolific power here. And he should be up in the big leagues by some point next year as well, as he was able to hold his own in a triple A call up by the end of the season. Look out for Mark Vientos. He has special, special power ability. That'll do it for this part one of the top third baseman prospects in baseball. Reminder to check out some of the latest prospect articles over at JustBaseball.com that I've been writing up here. I'm working on the Cardinal system right now. Also making some progress in updating our top 100 prospect list by the end of this month for 2022 as we get ready for spring training. It'll come around before you know it, hopefully, depending on the lockout situation. Uh, But of course, I'll be continuing to pump out these podcasts. We'll be continuing to put out content over at JustBaseball.com throughout the lockout, talking about the systems, talking about big league players, talking about the trades that went down potentially, hopefully in the rest of this evening as I'm recording this at about 7 p.m. on December 1st. We got another few hours to get some moves done. I'm going to talk a little bit tomorrow about the Cameron Meisner for Joey Wendell trade. I wanted to wait to see if there were any more trades made over the next couple hours before I talked about that one and pack them all in because there weren't that many trades, mostly free agent signings. So I'll get to all that as well. As always, thank you for listening, and I look forward to talking prospects with you tomorrow.